how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Jeffrey Paul King's creative pursuits came from interest in opera at an early age. While in boarding school, he spent time writing, and in college he had a play accepted to the Fringe Festival in Scotland. Then eventually he moved to Los Angeles to work his way up from being an assistant to interning at Gray's Anatomy. His first writing gig was on the series Elementary, where he worked for seven seasons, seven seasons writing for John Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. He then wrote a TV movie called Republic of Sarah, which he later turned into a series. In The Republic of Sarah, the description reads, Faced with the destruction of her town at the hands of a greedy mining company, rebellious high school teacher Sarah Cooper utilizes an obscure cartographical loophole to declare independence. In this interview, King talks about various stepping stones in a screenwriter's education, how to creatively solve problems, when leaders should actually follow, intellectually discussing politics through characters, and how to deal with premise landmines. I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, and when I was little, um, I started singing opera professionally, which is a very strange thing, but um, I, was a, I was a singer when I was a kid. My mom put me in this children's choir, and then um, the choir at one point got asked to send a couple of kids to the Boston Lyric Opera Company to do La Boheme. Um, and so I ended up on stage singing opera, and I think that's where like my love of drama was born, because I was wearing these frilly costumes and being on stage, and opera is super dope. And so... Um, as I started to grow up, I found myself more and more drawn to that world. And, and uh, you know, I liked performing, but I think I, I was always more intrigued by like world building and, and doing the writing side of it. Um, and so I went to boarding school, uh, which was great just because it was a very, you know, a lot of high, a lot of high, high schools, I think, um, don't necessarily prioritize the arts, but uh, a lot of these kind of ritzy boarding schools that you can end up in do, you know. So I, I was in a place that was really arts focused and really kind of indulged in the arts. And I, I did a lot of writing there. And then I think for me, the real kickoff was... Uh, when I was in college, I wrote a play that got accepted to the Fringe Festival in Scotland, um, just this big famous independent theater festival every year in Edinburgh. Um, and so I took my play there and, and we did it 25 nights in a row. And some nights you had four people in the audience and some nights we had 60. And it's kind of a surreal experience that really hooked me on mm -hmm. wanting to do it as my career, you know? 
Um, and so I moved to Los Angeles and kind of did, did, did the thing you're supposed to do. You know, I was an assistant for two years at a talent agency, a pretty high level place where you just get yelled at all day and answer phones, <laughs> but I was reading as much as I could and watching as much as I could. And, um, and then I, I was really lucky to get into UCLA's um, master of screenwriting program. And I was there during this interesting time at UCLA where they like this kind of window of a couple of years where they had a, a show running, like a, a show running track, a specific showrunner MFA um, that I got into. And so my, I have a degree from UCLA in showrunning specifically, and that was really awesome. And, and I learned a ton there and uh, ended up being able to be an intern at Grey's Anatomy for a season. I was at Brothers and Sisters for, for a couple of months just around professional people who were you know, really killing it. Um, so I ended up getting to really learn. I mean, I was in meetings with Shonda Rhimes and Krista Vernoff and, and sort of absorbing, you know, things from skills from these amazingly talented women. Um, and then very long and rambling story short, uh, you know, I ended up writing a couple of things people seemed to like and, and uh, wound up landing on elementary. CBS's elementary was my first gig. Um, and, uh, and, and it was great. I mean, I, I was, I was, besides the showrunner, I was the only writer who was there for all seven years of the show. We did 156 episodes, I think. And that was like, you know, that was being baptized in the fires of old school network TV. So that's kind of the road that led me to the Republic of Sarah. How close was that course to the actual job? Like, did it, did you mimic some things in the course? What were some of the parallels? Yeah, it was incredible. It was like, they took the screenwriting kids and then you had to, like further audition to get into the show running track and they picked 10 of us and those 10 kids we took all of our classes together like all 10 of us were always together and the first year was comedy and the second year was drama um and it was really useful like it was it was i give the you know there was a guy named fred rubin shout out to fred rubin who if you look him up he's a really awesome comedy writer he worked for a long time on like um archie bunker's place and like all kinds of sort of famous network comedy and then he ran this program and he he was really awesome about being really real with us. I think sometimes like arts education can get a little soft around the edges where it's like, oh, there's no wrong answer. And anything you do is good if you're expressing yourself. And certainly there's a place for that. And, and certainly that's an interesting philosophy. But I think when you, when you start creating things for money, that's a different thing. You know, when capitalism arrives in, in the equation, then you do have to kind of do certain things, certain ways and hit certain marks. And he was really good about sort of being really hard on us as students about like, this isn't good enough or this is too many pages or just being really specific. So we, we did a lot of learning that way. I think the two things that really stuck out to me as far as like real tangible skills we learned is like, I took a couple of classes where like working producer, like producerial professionals came in and just really talked to us about like budgets, like Peter Ligori, who was running FX for a while, came and spoke and just talked to us about like, here are what like, you know, uh, actor per episode fees are and how you negotiate them. And here's what a budget sheet looks like. And here's what a line producer does. And that was really useful. Because obviously, once you get into TV, it's probably less so if you're writing features. But in TV, a lot of your job, once you get up there, is producing. You know, it's not just writing. So you got to know that kind of stuff. And the other one thing that we did was really exciting was, um, like, in, like, the second year, I believe it was, we, you wrote a pilot in the first term. And then in the second term, you basically, each one of us took a, took a, a, a week where we got to be the showrunner of that pilot we'd written. And we used the other students like they were our writer's room to then craft a story to write season, to write episode two. So that was like a really practical thing. So yeah, it was it was a great experience. I, I think we actually really did learn a lot of things that were specific to the job that I do now. If you're kind of giving advice to the piece, but if you were maybe teaching a course or working with some of your writers, do you see writing as this mindset, producing as this mindset? Do you, do you have to switch on almost different parts of the brain to navigate? Because you want to be openly creative, but then also rein it back when there's money involved, right? Yeah, I think like... <clears throat> 
I think for me, the best advice I could ever give somebody in, 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 to that point um, <clears throat> is just to sort of know what you're doing and know know which master you serve, you know? So <clears throat> if you're somebody who wants to do you know, really unencumbered, incredibly artistic sort of expressionist kind of stuff, like then probably network TV is not where you belong. You know, like if you're a writer in network TV, part of your job is to sell Kias, right? Like we, we're just trying to keep people engaged long enough that they can see commercials, you know, like let's be real about it. So to me though, once you, if you're able to look at what you're doing, um, you know, with a realistic eye, then, then, then there's all kinds of freedom inside of that. So for me, it's like, I understand the parameters of, of, a, of the show and, and of how network TV works. Um, I think there's a great rhythm to network TV. I love the grind of network. Um, it's just sort of, it's a, that's a train that keeps on coming. Uh, and I, I'm a guy who often finds like constraint is the mother of all creativity. I like the pressure of that grind. Um, and so when it comes to like the uncovered creativity, yeah, it's about like, let's, let's play a little bit and then let's just figure out how we can keep that, that creativity in the box that we're in, you know, um, that's one. And then writing and producing, like, I think it's a matter of always, it's funny, like I do, I do often, like if I'm, if I have a, if it's a day in my season, I often will do like all the writing story stuff kind of first, and then I'll, then I'll sort of pivot to the producerial stuff. But I will say there's great creativity in both. I think that's the other thing is like having come from theater, you, you, you gain a lot of creativity in how you can handle and solve problems. Um, so for example, it's like, okay, well the budget is X and maybe, maybe it would help us if we could do like a bottle episode, you know? So there is a bottle episode in season one of the Republic of Sarah. I think it's one of our best episodes, you know, because it's like, well, how do we creatively solve the problem that COVID is squishing us a little bit and COVID is, you know, kick, hurting our schedule and hurting our budget. And so then it's like, all right, well, what's a creative solution to that? Can we build? And the answer became, you know, let's build a story where if we bottle episode it, then the whole thing that that episode can be shot more quickly and more cheaply and we save money and that, that helps us out, you know? So I think it's like, we did a lot of creative problem solving on the producerial side that I think really helped us. Um, so it's just a matter of like, I don't know, I guess just le leaning into uh, sort of what you are and, and knowing what you are. And then once you do that, I think you can really flourish, you know? I think most people, if they haven't seen Elementary, they know that it comes from Sherlock Holmes. Where does the Republic of Sarah come from? Is that original? Is that an adaptation? Uh, it is completely original. I'm, I'm really proud to say, honestly, because um, I think we, you know, we're in a bit of a landscape where a lot of things are reboots, remakes, IP sequels. Um, and Republic of Sarah is wholly original. It, it comes from my, <laughs> I, I've always been uh, hugely dorky about like maps and cartography. And, and actually my undergraduate degree um, is in cultural geography and cartography. It's not in film and TV or writing. I, you know, I got to Middlebury College, which is a school in Vermont. Um, and uh, just this really got fell in love with like the way the, the geography department, it's one of the only schools left in the country that has a dedicated geography department. And so you spend the whole, your whole, you know, um, time there, your whole degree, like studying human movement. And it's a bit of anthropology and a bit of economics and a bit of physical geography and topography. Like I just got hooked on that stuff. So as I was finishing up at elementary, CBS studio was really kind to me and liked me a lot and said, Hey, you know, you've done really great work for us. And what do you want to do next? You know, let's try and keep you around. And so I was always fascinated by, the minutia of country building? Like, how do you build a country? Like, how do you even do that? You know, like, what's the phone number for the Olympics? Like, how do you call the World Cup and be like, yo, I, we have a team, we want to come, you know? Like, just those kinds of questions just fascinated me. And, and because I came from a CBS cop show, um, I understood, I think, and I still do understand the value of a story engine, like a, like a sort of mechanism that produces good plot. And, and building a country is, there's an endless array of obstacles you would have to overcome to make a country. And what's even better about that endless array is that tonally it's all over the place, right? So if you're on a murder show, it's always probably pretty dark because somebody has been killed. 
country building, some of the episodes can be really heady and intellectual and emotional where you're dealing with healthcare or people's land or people's homes and, and, and immigration and really, you know, intense subjects like that. But then on the other end of the spectrum is like, what does your flag look like? Who's going to sing your national anthem? You know, like, yeah, do you go to the Olympics? Like, what do you just send the high school tennis team to the Olympics? Like, I don't, it's like sort of goofy. So that marriage of light and dark is really appealing. Um, and so then it was just a matter of like populating that premise with interesting people, you know, I mean, obviously a premise is only as good as the characters who are enduring it. So, um, I, I grew up a bit of a punk rock kid, you know, I was listening to Nine Inch Nails and, and Marilyn Manson and a lot of stuff. And I was sort of an outsider artistically. And so, you know, there's certainly a, a place for really glossy, you know, perfect looking six inch people in six inch heels on TV, but that's not who I am. And so for me, it was like, it's embraced this kind of punk rock aesthetic and, and it's kind of, you know, anti-authority kind of bigger brain stuff. And, and that I think really helps make the show pop. Tell me a little about the pitch and kind of creating Sarah. Cause if you had went the wrong way with this idea, it might be like a prepper show or something kind of, you know, the type of that, that type of thing, but it's very much purposeful about outside forces. It very much makes sense, but tell me a little about breaking the plot and then creating Sarah as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I was aware from the very beginning of like, you know, you have to be this, the premise of this show does offer perhaps a couple of landmines, you know, um, talk about proper stuff, you know, the natural, I think, question obviously is like, is this a show about secession? <laughs> and the answer is no, you know, like that was the first obstacle that I had to get over with the premise, which is like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to tell a story about leaving the US and uh, down with the United States, like absolutely not. Um, and so the narrative is constructed where the idea of, breaking, you know, of, of declaring independence for the town only arrives after the discovery of this kind of weird cartographical loophole in the story. Um, and that loophole, by the way, it, uh, is, is realistic. Um, you know, it, it's a, that kind of cartographical oddity has happened. Um, you know, there's a strip of land, for example, right now in Italy called Seborga, um, where after the Napoleonic Wars, they were making a list of what would be Italy, dividing up and sort of unifying Italy, and they left that strip of land off the list. So cut to 1960, some guy figures out it was left off the list and declares it independent. And right now in 2021, Seborga is an, an independent principality inside of Italy. Um, so it's not quite in, independent, but it does have some weird level of sovereignty. You know, it's like a real thing. There's also uh, famously, there's a strip of desert between Egypt and Sudan um, called Biotavil, which is neither one has claimed it. It's just this like unclaimed chunk of sand that you can go there right now if you want and stick a flag in the ground and call it yours. And I think either one would probably give it to you. So it, it by like marrying the, our premise to real phenomenon, to real kind of cartographical oddities, I think it helped us build a premise that was realistic and also I think is pretty specifically outside of this kind of anti-American secessionist idea, which again, the show isn't. The other thing that I think helped us big time was leaning into uh, optimism, you know, the sort of uplifting idea of like, you can make your own future, you can, you know, government is not this abstract thing that exists outside of people. Government is just people. It's just, it's just people who are trying to make the world a better place. Um, and so by leaning into sort of the youthful optimism of the characters and of Sarah specifically, I think it ends up feeling like it's more of a, a sort of uh, an uplifting fairy tale, you know? I mean, like mm -hmm. it's, and with Sarah, like one of the things I always loved about that kind of world of like the punk rock aesthetic and, and the sort of outsider sort of mentality was like, at least for me, I was singing, as I mentioned, I was singing opera in middle school. I was wearing tights and singing like a girl, you know, like I didn't have a ton of friends and all of the quote unquote popular kids were not very nice to me. And then all of these kids who were wearing shredded jeans and dressing with black eyeliner were sweethearts, you know? So there's something really 
there's something really optimistic and hopeful and supportive about somebody like Sarah, this kind of punk rock, love everybody. There's, there's, there's no more, lo paradoxically, there's no more loving a place than a mosh pit. I mean, people just hugging and sweating on each other and it's great, you know? So I think this sort of, like I said, I, I think tethering the story to a real world, you know, real world phenomenon of kind of cart the sort of oddities of cartography, plus just really infusing it with this kind of uplifting vibe, um, I think helps us. Where some of the subject matter is so complex, are you just coming in like, okay, I'll try to be the expert on this? Or are you also looking for people in the writer's room who can bring some of that knowledge? Or how did you kind of shape the writer's room and look for collaborators? Yeah. Um, so the first thing is like, you know, we are, our cast is, is diverse um, in a number of different ways. Um, and so, you know, I think for me, for any show, it's about, okay, well, like, who am I? And let's make sure that the, the writing team has, a bunch of people who don't look or think like me. Um, so that was a priority just in terms of character construction and conflict. Like I'm a straight white man. Let's make sure that we get a lot of people into the writer's room who are not that um, because I think it makes the story better and more realistic and more, and, um, you know, richer and deeper. Uh, in terms of the, the sort of, so that's that on the character side and the plot stuff, I think there are probably few, <laughs> there are a few people who are as dorky about this stuff as I am. You know, there's not a lot of people who are like super excited about Seborga in Italy. Um, so I think, but, but I think it was just about like, allowing people to speak to indulging their own what would i do i mean really the show I'm, I'm hoping tell asks viewers to ask themselves like what would you do what would you do if you were starting a country and so i think it was about empowering the writers to ask that same question and figuring out what they're what they were interested in what answers they had you know so um some of our bigger topics yeah like it, they, they were born of just conversations we'd have in the writer's room about like just sort of you know um pitching ideas on what, what you'd have to do i also will say like we were pretty collaborative. I think maybe again, because I come from theater and theater is always a team sport. Like our cast all had a lot of input on what they, stories they wanted to tell and, and things they thought about and, and both on the character level, but also on the plot level, you know, um, Stella Baker, our incredible lead, like was really, she's incredibly smart. And like one of her questions sort of right away was just like, was the immigration question. Like, if you did this, wouldn't like a ton of people just come racing up there and want to move in? Like, how do you, you know? And so we address immigration in season one um, and probably will continue to do so. That's such a deep issue that you can't, you can't solve it in 42 minutes, you know? Um, but so even like Stella was useful in that way. So I think it's just about being a good listener, you know? I mean, I, I suppose leadership, like sometimes being a good leader is knowing when to follow. And I think I tried to walk that line pretty well. Tell me about some of those like debates. So like I think of shows like, and this is not like really a political show, but shows like Madam Secretary seem to walk down the middle the best they can. I've also talked to some comedy writers who like to talk about this stuff and deep dive. And they're big on just trying to show both sides, even though the, you know, the main character kind of wins. How do you do have those conversations in the writer's room where you're making a decision without kind of getting pigeonholed with what ends up on air? Uh, that is a great question. I think the first thing is we had a lot of conversations with the writers early on that <clears throat> this writer's room needed to function a bit like a college classroom in that we, we need to be able to have discussions about issues that can be emotional, but we need to have those questions, those conversations unemotionally, at least hmm. some of the time, right? So when you're debating immigration, for example, the show isn't interesting. It's not interesting narratively <clears throat> if, if they, you know, the question of immigration is posed and then it's just solved, you know, because we're all for example, everybody, you know, maybe everybody's, oh, we're all left-leaning Hollywood types, so we'll just do that. Like, that's not compelling, nor is it realistic in today's world, you know? So I think we were pretty good about, like, let's have some debates in the, in the room about stuff and, and understand that we all respect each other and value each other and, and, and really be um, respectful about it, but be able to discuss some stuff intellectually. That's one. And then two is, like, 
trying to just be really good about <clears throat> specificity of character. That 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 to me is like really is the saving grace in some of those debates where it's it's if you try to debate something like, oh, okay, what's the, the left wing versus the right wing on the issue of X? It just gets, in, it just turns into like a, it's a CNN segment, you know what I mean? <laughs> that nobody cares about. But if you just, if you discuss, okay, well, how would Sarah feel about X versus Corinne, like two of my main characters? Then it gets more nuanced, you know, because I think all of us, like whether you identify as A or B in your sort of political leanings, as soon as you dive deeper into that, there are going to be little things that maybe you don't quite go along with the herd on this, or maybe you disagree with, you know somebody else on on that on that and so with with the bigger issues i think it was just about trying to really be married to what our what our characters would think about stuff what, what our characters do not necessarily just trying to have like a poli side debate you know like um in the episode if that makes any sense yeah definitely <laughs> so you mentioned kind of having this like big freedom of like so many ways to go with the show i can imagine that freedom can also be a little bit overwhelming how are you thinking about, okay, this is perfect for season one. This might be an idea for later. I know you're kind of going in not knowing, like you, you haven't like been guaranteed five years or whatever, but how do you think about some of those things planning ahead versus not being precious with something and some of those ideas? Oh man, that, that is like the question. Um, because it's, because like this, the moment you think about building a country, like there's a thousand questions that pop in at once. I mean, it was, it was at least in the early part of our show, I think we tried to at least be good about like, what is stuff that would happen like right away? Like, you know, um, so, so because it's not, because they aren't just like arriving on a new planet and starting a country, there's a bunch of stuff already in place, right? They used to be part of New Hampshire. So for example, we don't tackle uh, infrastructure in, in season one, right? We don't tackle like, how do you build bridges and who, who controls that and tra the transportation department as it were. Mm -hmm. It's something we maybe will talk to talk about, but not in season one, only because like that, I don't think that would happen right away, right? If you declare independence tomorrow, the roads that you have and the buses that are running probably are, you know, are still there, the bridges over the river, like that bridge isn't, it doesn't go away. So it was about like, what would happen quickest? Um, that was one. And then two was just like, what's the most fun? You know, what's the most interesting? What's the most relatable? Um, we, I think we didn't want to, of course you start right away thinking about like, oh, diplomatic affairs and, and trade deals you know it's like yeah trade deals are interesting but i don't know if they're the greatest tv you know <laughs> whereas like in our season two episode two right away like the power goes out right like the new hampshire is like oh you're no longer part of the states we're gonna cut your public utilities that was like that felt like it, it ticked both boxes right it's like that would happen quickly and it's really dramatic and visual and interesting and then same in episode three where like the governor of new hampshire you know is trying to squeeze this little country and they she closes the borders it's another thing where it's like now they're trapped and so it just it felt like it was imminent and fun. And so I think it was just about like trying our best to identify what would be both compelling narratively and also kind of realistic and, and early in, in, in the life of a new country. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, like that, that question is something I wrestle with. Wake up in, in night sweats thinking about that question, which is like, oh, I also want to do this. And I want to do all, you know, like, I, you know, I hope we're on the air for 50 years because there's, there's a thousand things to try and talk about and deal with when you're building a country. You think so you've worked with a couple of networks now. This show's on the CW. So I imagine I, I kind of think of the CW is like young people and optimistic, some of those things. Do you still see that when you're going into pitches? Do you see really refined, like, okay, this network does this? Or do you see more of a shift now where streamers and everything's changing so much? I think I've, I would say a little, like, I would say there's been a little shift, but not a huge one. You know, like, I think, like, with the CW, they make TV in a certain way. And I think they're open to playing with that formula, but I, but but I think you still have to play 
in inside that formula if that makes sense um so like pitching the show when it was when it was went to the cw we knew sort of what their bullseyes are you know and, and yeah to your point like it's a little younger there's a lot of optimism to it um it needs to be it needs to have some fun um and so but but as long as i think we're we're What's nice about the CW is like they're not saying your show has to be this. What they are saying is we would love it if your show included these elements. But they're all, but if you want to include other elements, then great, you know. So we walked in there and said, listen, like, here's what we're gonna do with the show. One of the things that we really hit on was, um, you know, we're gonna make smart sexy. Like smart is sexy on our show. You know, there's a whole scene in episode two that's in French. Like our lead character quotes Emma Goldman often, you know, and she's like a 20, early 20th century feminist anarchist that nobody's ever heard of, you know, like, um, and, and the CW loved that idea because they're like, great, like we're still doing all the fun character stuff and all the fun conflict, but we can add to it something that does feel a little new and a little spicy and, and maybe a little different. So it seems like the streamers have forced some of the networks maybe to be a little more open-minded with the content they're buying and what they're putting on the air. But I think, I will say this, like, I think to the CW's credit, it seems to me like the networks and the streamers that are thriving the most at the moment are ones that continue to sort of know who they are and like what they want, what they do well and embracing that. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I, I suppose it's a little of both, you know, they're, they're definitely more open-minded maybe than they were like a decade ago, but I think they still are the CW and it's not, you can't go in there and pitch a show that has, you know, five 60 year old men at the heart of it who are, you know, it's, it's just, you, know, you gotta sort of know where you're going, I guess. <laughs> What are some of your other, um, besides like knowing, you know, knowing who you're talking to, knowing the material, showing up with the great, everything, the best of your ability, do you have any other just advice on pitching in general, like how long it should be, how you think about certain things, what the key points are? Yeah. So I like for pitching specifically, I think the first thing I would say, I'll say a couple of things, but the first one is, is you are trying to convince people to buy something that will that will be that will audiences will find exciting and compelling so if you if you go into a pitch and you don't think what you're trying to pitch is exciting and compelling then why the hell does is the network going to think that an audience would right so like i always say that to friends like you need to go in there like you are so excited to be talking about this thing like you you cannot believe that you have the opportunity to talk about it for 30 minutes you just love it that much because that enthusiasm is infectious and hopefully you're not manufacturing that enthusiasm hopefully you should be pitching things that you care about that you love you know and that to me is like i'm somebody in my career where like i'm pretty dedicated to trying to make original content i'm not really a guy that wants to do uh, now that i'm in a shorting position like i you know what excites me is ideas that i came up with you know and so like i need to lean into that because that's what excites me and so when i go and pitch i'll be excited you know um another thing i'd say is like you need to do your homework, you know, you need to know this thing top to bottom, because if somebody says yes to you, they are investing somewhere between what, 30 and $200 million in you, you know, like to give you a giant spectrum of what that, what a show costs, you know? Um, so if you're, if you go walk in there and they have a question or you don't know everything like back to front, why are they going to dump all this money on you and believe in you, you know? So for me, like with the Republic of Sarah, like I was, I, you know, I did all my cartography and geography homework. I really spent time thinking about the characters. I, you know, I know I walked in there and sort of jokingly, I know what our C, our series finale would be. Like I have some idea of like how the entire show would end ideally seven years from now because I thought about it, you know? And so every question they had after the pitch and in the conversation we had, I had answers for them ready and I was ready and I was excited about those answers. So I think it's just a matter of like, you have to believe in your project to be excited about it, but you also have to just know it. Like you got to really, really know it so that when you are talking to people, you just exude confidence. You just exude that like you could nail this thing. If they gave it to you tomorrow, you'd be ready to go. Um, I'd say those are the two things that have helped me the most. Is it harder to pitch? Like, cause I mean, not long ago, 
I don't know, 2010, nobody really on TV was super famous. Now, a lot of shows have some movie actor in them. You know, here's Pierce Brosnan, Forrest Whitaker, whoever it is. Is it harder to, to come out with this? Because I mean, you're really just you're really pitching the idea because it is a young audience or a young cast as well. So is it harder or is it still you kind of see it as the same? I mean, in terms of how to pitch the show? Yeah, we just don't have that other leg to stand on, I guess. You know, you're banking on somebody. Yeah, I think I think it's all I think all it does maybe is up the ante on the stuff I, I was just sort of mentioning, which is like mm-hmm. you you have to if you if you don't walk in there with Reese Witherspoon sitting next to you, you have to even more know what you're doing, why it will be great, why it's cool and smart and interesting, why it could be on the air for a hundred years, you know? Um, I would say maybe what you're talking about too is is also challenging. If you get a show on the air, yeah, it's challenging on the other end too, which is like, you don't, you're trying to get people to watch it and promote it and stuff. It's like, yeah, if you don't have like an A-lister, it just means you got to really do the work and hustle and continue to know your show and believe it and all that kind of stuff. But um, I will say like a lot of places, the CW famously, they really take pride in, they really like, that they are a network that breaks new talent. You know, they're incredibly proud of, of the actors and actresses that they have launched off of their shows. So that was a place where you didn't need that going into the pitch, you know, cause they, they are excited about finding new talent, which we did on our show. You know I mean? Like a, a huge chunk of our like main cast has never been a series regular and often have never even been a series recurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and the CW was thrilled about that. So it's just about, again, like embracing, uh, you know, what, what the network you're going to is maybe looking for. What's the biggest challenge for writing a show where the characters are smart and the plots are smart? Like, does that get difficult? Are there points where you're like, sometimes when I think of like movies about journalism, in real life, this part is really boring. How do we make that exciting? How do you kind of think about some of those things? It's a great question. It's annoying. It's, I I wish I were, you know, I wish my show were dumber, but unfortunately it's not. Unfortunately it's very smart. Um, yeah. I mean, it it means that like, you got to know your stuff, you know, it means that I have to do homework. It stinks. You know, I don't get to just write the thing. I also have to spend free time reading, you know, um, books about the memoir of the guy who made, you know, there's a memoir about the guy who made Singapore from scratch, basically, you know, like just, you're just sort of trying to, uh, you know, bathe yourself in research. Um, so that's it's it's I think it's more annoying, but it's more fulfilling because I because I think like and we had this on elementary too. Like I, I ran the elementary writers room Twitter account while I worked there. And we used to get like tweets and messages all the time about people who said, Oh, I love last nice episode. I had no idea that there that this theory, I had no idea about this cool math thing you were talking about. I had no idea about this chemical that Sherlock was talking about. So cool. I love that. I think that's awesome. You know, like so it's worth doing. Um, I think like with the with the building stories and stuff, it's a matter of like you look, you know, the show isn't a documentary, you know? So I think for us, it was a matter of like, let's know our stuff. I'm never, I'm not a poli-sci PhD, right? Like I'm not trying to claim that I am I'm a genius in terms of world building and nationhood and all that stuff, foreign, foreign policy. But I think you need to at least do the work so that your audience feels comfortable that you at least, you can tip your cap at the realism, right? You kind of know what you're talking about. You can at least sort of nod at the real intellectual conversation or something. So when we talk about in, you know, we do an episode about currency, like even it's just a matter of like tipping your cap to like what have other countries done and you know how do they do things and did it work or it didn't it you know um, I think that's how you can do it because I don't think any no viewer is expecting you to be an expert 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 but I think they can smell it when you don't know what you're talking about so you have to at least have done a little bit of research. I think we're out of time. I usually just uh, maybe do one more. Um, just if you were kind of breaking in today, if you were 20 years old trying to get into business, where might you start as a screenwriter? Yeah. It's, um, I would say the first thing I would say is like start writing plays. 
like I think theater is such a great way to hone your craft because theater, unlike TV and, and movies, you, you can just do it. Like when I was at UCLA, when I was a younger person in, UCLA, in LA, um, I had some friends who were also trying to be writers. We would just rent, we just rented a theater for a, like for a weekend for like 500 bucks. We just pooled our money and then we put on a whole night of plays. Like you could, so I would say start like just writing plays because you can actually do them and then you can actually hear an audience respond to things you're writing and see what they think. And um, I think that's really useful. Um, I think the other thing is like a version of what I said before, which is like, just, you have to be really introspective to know who you are and what you want to do. So if somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? If your answer is, I want to be a writer. That's not, that's not the right answer. The right answer is I want to be a novelist or I want to be a one hour drama guy, or I want a person, or I want to be, you know, I want to write, I want to write really funny comedy in front of a live audience. Like I think knowing yourself will then help you to know how to pursue that dream. So for example, if, you, if you're able to say, I want to do comedy. Um, well then, okay, go to UCB and start doing improv and make friends that way. You know, if you're somebody who wants to do one hour drama, okay, look for internships, try to get into the door, you know, into the room at places that are doing that. Maybe think about an MFA or, you know, some kind of ability to learn how to do that more, like learn the structure of one hour and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's, I think it is about knowing yourself. And then the last thing I'd say is just like, <laughs> work your ass off. Like people are like, I don't, I think like the, when you get into the writer's guild, they give you this kind of motivational speech every time I think with the new classes where they say that there are more people every year who become professional baseball players than who become professional writers. Um, and that's true. And so you have to know that like, if you're gonna be a writer, you are competing. It is a job that a lot of people want, it's cutthroat. And so for me, I don't think, I did not pop out of the womb as a genius, you know, and I'm not one now. Like. I think what I did do is I just outworked, man. Like I come from blue collar, New Hampshire roots. My mom's an accountant. I just like, I outworked people, you know, like I came home from working 15 hour days at a talent agency and then wrote for three hours and didn't sleep. Like you just have to work your ass off. Um, and if you get there and you make it, it's awesome. You know, it's worth the work, but like a lot of young people, like it's, it's, it's just takes, I didn't write a good script to like the sixth or seventh script I wrote. You just got to go, 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 go and really believe in it. Um, is I think the last thing I would say. But if you do, then that's, then you can, then it's doable. You know, it's, it's optimistic. Um, believe, believe, believe in the work. Do the work and believe in it. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.